0: Wow, man. We have made it to episode 20, SCNT. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett. And this is the Stem Cell Podcast, episode 20, Yost. What's going on, my man? Wow. It's been
1: uh, episode 20. That's amazing. We we made this far. That's good. That's good. It, it's awesome. It's yeah. been a
0: great ride. It's it's getting better. Thank you, everybody out there. Right, Yost. It's just been an awesome thing. I mean, yeah. it's just
1: been so much fun. Yeah, it's good to see that there's interest still in the stem cell world. And uh, you know, I think it was Sean Morrison who pointed this out. It, It really has kind of captured the public eye, don't you think?
0: I do think so. And I think, and I know, and I think it's the same for you, that one of the things that I think we've talked about it a lot, but it's so true, is that the response we get from the audience is really what makes us keep doing this. I mean, it's great when every, you know, we get to check, we get emails and tweets and all these things from... All you guys out there just giving us ideas and and talking to us, that makes us really want to sit down and and create better shows and resources for everybody because that's what really drives us. So in saying that, we're starting to do some things here. So we have the big uh, ISSCR, International Society for Stem Cell Research, meeting coming up. Yos, pumped up to go out to Vancouver. Yep. I'll see you there. We'll be there. So we were trying to figure out what we were going to be doing there. So um, we will be there. And we, we got a couple things going on. So I think the first thing is uh, ISSCR will have a, uh, a central booth distributing information about the society and such. So uh, we'll have some info there. The, the, the ISSCR is awesome, and they're going to be giving out some of the Stem Cell Podcast info. So you can see us there. And I think, Rob, we were talking about it before. Yosef and I are really excited. We have this late-breaking uh, situation where, we're, we, where it looks like we're going to get a booth on the show floor. Um, still, It's still uh, fluid. Is that what they say? You know, yeah, so, it's still in the so, making. Still in the making. And so if it works out, the Stem Cell Podcast will have a booth. We'll, we'll set up with our microphones. Um, and anyone who's there can stop by the booth. Tell us uh, the, 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 what we're going to call it is tell us your stem cell story. So you can come by and tell us your story of stem cells, why you like the cells, the show, the meeting, whatever. And uh, we'll put it on the show. You know, so people get on the uh, get on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I look forward to that. Maybe somebody will have a rant of their own too. Uh,
0: they could share with us because uh, those are little diamonds in the rough. Come <laughs> give us your rants, and so so come see us at ISSCR. We'll be there. The second thing here, and this is where we need everybody's help. So what we want to do is we really want to get a very responsive audience, so we can do different things. Like, yo, so I really want to do sometime like a live show where. You know, we get live people calling in and we can arrange that with a number and people call in live. But to do that, we really have to have a responsive audience. So we're gonna try something on the podcast tonight. We're gonna put this out there. You ready for this, Yost? This is what we're gonna do. I feel like I need like a dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have right. that. <laughs> I know, we don't have that yet. So what we're gonna do is the rants are a great part of the show. We have a lot of fun doing them. And so what we want is we want everybody's idea for a rant in the lab, outside the lab, preferably in the lab if you're in the lab, something that just bothers you that you want to get off your chest, send them to us. Email us, stemcellpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at stemcellpodcast. Um, Where else am I missing? Some others. But Facebook, you can put it up there on Facebook. Tell us what you think irks you. Give us your rant. And what we'll do is we'll go through. We'll pick the top three. The top three we'll talk about on the show. We're going to send those top three of this really awesome T-shirts that we're making. And then the top top dog, yos. We're gonna get them on the show and rant with them. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. We're gonna bring them on the show. We're gonna rant with them. We're gonna have a three rant on the, from the audience. So please get them fired in. Let's see what you got. Let's see if we can get you guys uh, ranted up on, on the show. All right.
1: Any other announcements to make?
0: Uh, we have a wonderful guest for the evening. Uh, the guest of the show relates to the title SCNT, somatic cell nuclear transfer. Yes. Uh, Dr. Dieter Agley from the New York Stem Cell Foundation. So we will be talking with him a little bit later. You know, as we talk about SCNT, and T, it's been popping up in the in the world of science, especially stem cell research it's in Maine News, it's very uh very water cooler, if you will. And uh Dieter's been doing it for a while. He's been really at the at the beginning, you know, the beginning stages and now he's at the New York Stem Cell Foundation. He was able in his latest finding um, in uh, in nature, I believe right. It was nature science, yeah, yeah, nature. Um, the report of uh, the derivation of this embryonic stem cell line uh, from a diabetic patient. Uh, so it's the first diseased SCNT line. So that's really cool. We can ask him some questions about SCNT because it's really fascinating uh, technology and field. All right, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I've known Dieter
1: for a while now in New York. He's uh... He's a really good scientist, so I look forward yeah, he's, to that. Yeah, he's a
0: good scientist. He's a cool dude. I'm sure he's going to be at ISSCR as well. So, um, all right. we have. I, I know we have a lot to talk about with him. So do we have anything else? Because we should probably get to the roundup. Yeah, no. Let's uh, move along. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. Let's round it up. Yo, Okay. It so I don't
1: know if you saw a cell paper showing that fruit flies have a sensor for foods rich in amino, essential amino acids. Uh, they, there's this like buildup of tRNAs that occurs, uh, in foods with low essential amino acids. And they have these neurons that could sense this and it triggers GCN2 kinase. And, um, this leads to repression of the neurotransmitter GABA and release of dopamine. So some crazy stuff in cells. Yeah. So showing how, you know, fruit flies can sort of sense amino acid rich. Food. I, I
0: remember tRNAs from like biochem class. I remember yeah. specifically those weird structures. TNR, tRNAs They're kind of like an abstract concept, you know. <laughs> it really is. I never really, fu- I never got
1: it. Yeah, RNA, RNAs like they self-assemble into. Things that process RNAs. <laughs> yeah, you're either an RNA guy or you're not. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. not an RNA guy and I don't yeah. pretend to be. Yeah. So um, there's the Journal of Biological Chemistry Station uh, where they use chip Seek in vivo in mouse lymph node cells immunized with the super antigen staphylococcal enterotoxin B or SEB. You and I have a friend named Seb. Seb. <laughs> uh, so they they basically immuni- immunized the mice with Seb to show that uh, they could use THC to modify the histones, which uh, led to a suppression of inflammation. And they think this could be used or, or why... Uh, it's used uh, or a potential therapy for um, autoimmune diseases that have inflammation. So you can find that in the Journal of Biological cool. Chemistry. Uh, there was a cell, uh, let's see here, no, a food and chemical toxicology study showing that alpha amylase, you know, that enzyme that comes out when you chew on bread, and uh, albumin and myoglobin all protect cells from DNA g- damaging uh, PLPs, which are pyrogallo, like polyphenols which are present in coffee so that's why the you know the potentially dangerous stuff in coffee and tea are uh, not harmful because of alpha amylase albumin and myoglobin so you can find that uh, study on these will all be on the website um, there's a nature genetics study uh, showing a single letter genetic change in, uh, in the in the genome is enough to produce Blonde hair in humans. I saw this. That's your Lannister gene. (laughs) There (laughs) it is. They had some cool kit ligand methodology to like pinpoint that down so you can find that in Nature Genetics. There was also another Nature study. You probably saw this. They used optogenetics to erase fear in uh, rats. Uh, I saw that. That, yeah, so, the so under one. Cool, yeah, they had shock, and they just basically were able to erase the shock fear. So that's watch it. over Watch for optogenetics, man. Yeah, man. There's yes, definitely. That's that's
0: the truth for sure. I,
1: I could speak firsthand of that. Uh, there's a metabolism study showing green tea uh, that a green tea biological called EGCG inter, uh disrupts the metabolic pathway of pancreatic cancer by inhibiting LDHA. So you can find that in metabolism. It's probably you know detailing why people who drink green tea seem to live or have better health. Um, science. There was a science translational medicine study used where they used lasers to turn on stem cells in the rat mouth in the tooth of the rat. Uh, th- so they somehow stimulated stem cells in in the mandible to to turn on. Um, with lasers <laughs> that was pretty interesting it wasn't I saw, I saw it was an optogenetics in science, translational medicine? yeah yeah i don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't under quite understand how lasers could stimulate them but sure why I don't not
0: know. you know what it is it's all about like disrupting the niche you know yeah. just giving it like a chance to escape oh, <laughs> i don't know maybe lasers screw oh, that up who yeah, knows i kind of like stimulating
1: stem cells with lasers lasers <laughs> <laughs> there was a PNAS study, PNAS, Penis. our favorite journal, uh, where they uh, were studying pancreatic cancer and they showed that a gene expressed by uh, pancreatic cancer cells called CXCL12 keeps the immune system away by, uh, uh, and by inhibiting CXCR4 on T-cells with a uh, drug called AMD 3100 Uh, the T cells were able to attack the pancreatic cancer cells. uh, And they even had even better results using an anti-PDL1 activation of T cells. It's an enhancer that... uh, People use so uh, you can find that over in PNAS.
0: I love I love when they say you know cellular attack. You know I get like the best vi- like vision in my mind of these cells with swords just stabbing when like the other protective cells flocking in. Man, we got the best army on the planet with
1: our immune system. If we, we could really j- if we could just set it on cancer and not the rest of the body, we could really just cure cancer. You're so <laughs> so true. Yeah, so uh, I love these studies and I always try to you know highlight them. There was an American Society. of Clinical Oncology Conference. I usually don't present, you know, conference data on here, uh, like peer-reviewed stuff first, but it was kind of exciting where they showed out that the immune system can be primed to attack cervical cancer. I'm so predictable. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and that one of the patients is now cancer-free after one year. So, that I'll, I'll post that. It was at the American Society of Clinical cool. Oncology. Uh, I don't know if you saw the first human proteome was published over in Nature. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Really? They, these two groups published the first human proteome. So, oh, look, yeah. yeah. So, we're going to move to
0: proteomics. Like, that's where it'll be. Everybody knows. Down.
1: Yeah. That's, I always, everybody wants the proteins more than the genome because that's the end product at the end of the day, right? So
0: exactly what it is
1: man um there was a molecular psychiatry study showing abnormal neuronal differentiation and mitochondrial dysfunction in ips cells from schizophrenic patients so uh you can uh, find that molecular psychiatry big on oxidative
0: stress right now in cognitive uh, disorders that's a that's a hot that's a hot topic
1: yeah yeah who knows what's going on with schizophrenia? We who still knows, haven't man. done that episode yet, so um,
0: no, we will. yeah, and we I got a great guy to do one, actually. We can go uh, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. That's another story for another day. Go ahead.
1: Uh, there was a current biology paper showing that stimulation, the VTA can change the behavior in primates, uh, so they basically were able to change their preference for in a monkey uh, for an image by stimulating the VTA. Um, so they, the, these monkeys would choose a favorite image and, uh, they were able to track this and actually switch their decision. Uh, so you can find,
0: yeah, Yeah, where was where was that you said? Sorry. Uh,
1: the current biology, biology, uh, there was a cell transplantation study showing that Tai Chi increases the number of CD 34 positive (laughs) hematopoietic (laughs) stem cells. Now, normally I don't present this sort of like dreamy stuff but i i thought it was interesting that they were able to you know have a biomarker that correlated with that but you know correlation is definitely not causation uh i i like to use the example of uh umbrellas and rainstorms you know it's One doesn't cause the other, but they definitely correlate. Um, I I like just saying Tai Chi. If I can work that into my daily conversations, that'd be awesome. Yeah, well, that's in cell transplantation. I don't know. I try to figure out they were associated with cell cell, but it's cell transplantation. We'll see. Um, There was a science paper where scientists performed the first transfer of a quantum bit of information to another quantum bit or qubit. Uh, that was ten feet away, and this this information traveled through the intervening space uh, th- via teleportation, basically. So uh, the this may be a huge leap forward for towards a quantum computer. So you can find that in science, qubits. Yeah, qu- qu- qubit tele- teleportation. Is pretty. What amazing. was
0: that game? Wasn't there an old Nintendo game named Qubit, or was it no Q-Bert? Q-Bert, you- Man, that was Qbert. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember that game though. You used so. to jump around and squash yes. people or something? Yeah, yes. whatever. All right, got. It reminds me of Donkey Kong too. Anyhow, oh, man. man. there was a Mayo Clinic proceeding study showing that two patients receiving a single intravenous dose of an engineered measles virus uh, that had selective toxicity towards myeloma plasma cells. And uh, they were able to show a reduction in bone marrow cancer and myeloma protein in these patients. And one of them had complete remission. And has been disease-free for over six months, Uh, so establishing the feasibility of oncolytic viral therapy. So, uh, you know, these, these, uh, these. I I love the idea of using the immune system to attack cancer. Clearly, Um, so that's in the Mayo Clinic proceedings. There was a Cell paper showing that male mice genetically engineered to lack the V one pain receptor lived almost twi- 12% longer than those uh, with the receptor, and females live 16% lo- longer. So I guess not having a uh, sensor for pain is, uh, you know, can be beneficial. They, uh, the mice also ha- had uh, looked better in old age and were able to metabolize oxygen more efficiently and had more pancreatic beta cells. So... Cool. Uh, and I'll try and wrap this up real quick, but I don't know if you saw in nature that Gord Fischel had these Mohawk mice. Did you see that? They, uh, they No, I haven't <laughs> seen the Mohawk it's mice. It's this crazy story where the they showed that reduced CNT NAP4 production uh, led to decreased GABA signaling, his favorite um uh, Neurotransmitter for sure. He's the interneuron king. Gabba or, guy, yeah. He's the GABA guy. Uh, we should probably try and get him on the show. Uh, he's he's pretty. Pretty awesome scientists. Um, that uh, depressed GABA... That reduction in that gene, CNT-NAP4, uh, led to depressed GABA signaling and overstimulation with dopamine. Uh, and they were able to reverse... Uh, reversing these deficits uh, could be a treatment for autism. So that's why it's probably in nature. Um, and besides it being an awesome study. Um, so, yeah. So it seems like, you know... Uh, these mohawk mice could be useful for studying autism. It, it, wow, so, man. Yeah. I, I thought it was now cool. going away.
0: Where was this? Do you know where this is?
1: It's in nature. It was like... Nature? Yeah. They... they I shouldn't. I mean, they have mohawks because they overgroom themselves, sure, and that's yeah, like uh, uh, why scientists like to use a mouse like that because sure. of the it recapitulates some of the behavior seen in some autism. That sort of hyper grooming or repeat, repetitive behavior. And I know you're into the autism, so yeah, you can man, find that's that.
0: fascinating. And I'm going to read that. That's yeah. That's
1: I mean, I got a few more, but I'm going to let it go because uh, we got to move along here.
0: Yeah, let's uh, yeah. go. Let's keep going because we I we want, I have a lot of stuff. Uh, that we want to get to with, with Dieter. So um, I'll do some stuff quick. And, you know, I love that this is real time. I just got an email right now confirming that the podcast will have a booth at ISSCR. So, Excellent. Real we time. We will be boothed up. Come yes. visit us at the booth. All right. So <clears throat> the New York Yankees are not doing so hot this year, Joseph, And the reason why I'm telling you this is because their pitching staff is depleted. And uh, I'm happy to report that CC Sabathia, the New York Yankee ace, uh, will be ready to throw for the first time since his stem cell treatment for his knee. Really? So doctors, uh, let's see. The doctors did what they did with Peyton Manning for his neck. I was going to ask it, that if yeah, it's it's the a, same yeah, you know what it is like? It's like a, it's yeah. like a celeb- It was like a celebrity trend, you know. He's like, yeah, I got the same thing Peyton got. You know? Yeah. Where did he go? Um, doesn't specify, but basically, it's like taking your own blood. They spin it out, put it back into the injured site, and it's supposed to like rejuvenate. And it's your own cells, so you know. The the, the thought is that it's not going to be. How you know what's the real harm that it could do? It's not an FDA-approved procedure, um, but you know a lot of uh, a lot of athletes are getting this done. So wow. All right. uh, let's see if it helps him because we're in desperate need of help. <laughs> let's see. There was a Gallup poll, not into these Gallup polls, Yost, but this was a Gallup poll about moral acceptability. Okay, and so it's saying that certain things, uh, certain uh, items that we have uh you know very strong feelings about a part of this country they rate them as high from highly acceptable to highly unacceptable mm. on that list is uh using stem cells obtained from human embryos and the reason why they did this is they found that this some of these some of these things are at the highest wow. level that they've been at so just for fun real quick yo so i'm gonna give you three things and you tell me where you think they fit accepted middle or not all right let's see so, your choices are cloning humans. You think that's high up, unacceptable? <laughs> Not very acceptable. 13% cloning humans. But here's the real kicker stem cell research is at 65% accepted, which is really, really went up. Um, it's really, really gained steam and considered to be uh, morally acceptable. It's in the largely acceptable category with divorce, uh, gambling, and the death penalty. Wow. Wow. Yes. And in the highly unacceptable, suicide, polygamy, cloning humans and married men and women having an affair okay all right all right doctor assisted suicide is at 50 percent anyway so we have uh 65 percent of accepted for uh, medical research using stem cells i would say that's a step up in the world it is
1: it is i really wish it was like between 80 and 90 but okay it's progress for the highest the highest is birth control at 90 percent. so that's where we got to aim I can't believe that some people are against using stem cells to help people. I really
0: just I I don't know why. Thirty-five percent of the population is, is apparently is, against yeah. it, from according to this poll. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Anyway, there was a uh, report I was reading coming out of the USC University of Southern California News. There was the Broad, <clears throat> the Broad Foundation. The Broads gave a two million dollar gift to the Broad's Center for Regenerative Medicine and Stem Cell Research at USC. It's a really cool idea. Yos, it's to fund uh, really. Uh, you know uh, exceptional senior postdocs as they're about to transition to their own laboratories and i 'm I'm thinking from what i 've read that they can take that money with them to help start their labs and that 's really, really cool because that 's a very critical time you know a, a, pers- a new investigator wants to get in and start up as quickly as possible, and you know any extra money he has around or she has around it'll really help them to get off to the right. You know, get off to the
1: races. So I thought that was a yeah, really, really um, cool initiative. By Broads. The Broads, Broads got some deep pockets, and he's dedicated to giving a lot of it away. Besides buying a lot of art too, <laughs> and
0: and ve- yeah, and very very uh, dedicated to stem cell research. So that's excellent. Anytime anyone from the Broads would like to come on the stem cell podcast, please give us a call. Yeah. I was reading about the uh, STAP saga. Oh uh, gosh, did you hear? Now, so they retracted one of they agreed to ret- retract one of the papers. So this was the STAP. Japanese uh, Obakata scientist who was you know nobody could repeat the story and anyway so there was two papers there was an article and a letter and they they retracted this letter and they kept the main article in published so now what they're doing is she has agreed to do a stap experiment this is like is this really like a soap opera so if she has to do this experiment in front of like people i guess i'm thinking i'm I'm reminded of you know like those surgical old you can like the surgery suites where the people would sit up in the top in the gallery and observe the surgery it's like they're gonna have to watch her do this experiment and then if it works then it works and if it doesn't work it doesn't work (laughs) talk about performance anxiety you got like the
1: overlords of science watching you (laughs) <laughs> As, She's going to need a Cialis for experimentation, something that's going to keep her going under the oh, pressure man. because that, that that's that, crazy. You know, I'm starting to think that, uh, I, put it this way, I'm starting to realize that stap
0: rhymes with something. I know. Yeah. And it's it sad. It sucks. It yeah. really sucks. It's yeah. really a shame. Um, anyway, let's move on here. I was also, um, I, I kept this back to back just because it's on the same thing of corruption, if you will, or, or non-truthfulness. I was reading this little – it's kind of like a blog or something, um, and it's from io9. It's inside a corrupt stem cell research lab. So this is talking about this uh, lab, the Anversa lab. This is uh, uh, Piero Anversa. Is at Brigham, I think, over in Boston, part of Harvard there. And apparently he does this heart research he's had over – um, you know, fifty some odd million dollars of funding from 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 NIH at some point in his career. He's published like hundreds of articles. Clinical trials have been launched based on his work. And this, this whole controversy about a lot of this work was just not true. And a lot there's been a lot of retractions from him lately. Just things been pulled. Now they got this investigation. It's this big thing. And so this guy, an old member of the lab, wrote in to this to Reddit or to one of these websites describing the day to day operations of the lab yosef it's crazy man really i mean it's, it's like it's like it's like nuts so there was, there was like there was like the the p i who you never saw <laughs> there were like two people under him, like his generals and then twenty five other like younger people doing the work you would do an experiment you would get the data you'd have to present the data to one of those generals you would never see it again what the, the next time you would see it as on a publication what it, yeah there was j there was no it, talking was discouraged you weren't allowed to really share and the way it worked was if you if you played along you would you would be good you would work out okay but if you didn't you're done they would you would get out you wouldn't get published they would kick you out dude I'm this this thing is crazy yeah it sounds like it you guys should go everyone should read this it's pretty wild well we put all the articles up on on the, the stemcellpodcast.com stem cell so check it out it's weird it's kind of creepy anyway um, <laughs> yeah, so that was going on in 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 Boston at like Brigham and harvard they 're doing investigations. Go read that the uh, The European uh, Commission has rejected a petition calling a halt for the funding of research involving human embryos i don 't know if you saw that, no. so you know how they can have these you, you know you can go out and get a petition, and if there 's a certain number signed, then the Parliament or the government has to make a response. Mm. They did it with Justin Bieber here. <laughs> They got enough people to try to get Justin Bieber deported, so they actually had to get, had to get a yes, comment yes, from the White Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so there was this uh, this group called One of Us, supported by Pope Francis and other religious groups, and uh, they and there was this. There's a program by the European Union science funding program. It's called Horizon 2020. It's a, not just stem cell funded, but it's it's a stem cell. They fund a lot of stem cell work, and this group. Got a petition to halt the funding, and so the uh, answer by the U commission was, uh, sorry. So that, that did not go through, which mm. that was nice. I got the blonde thing we talked about, right? Yep. Um, there was a, there was a uh, this is now more primary article. There was this article on stem cell reports. I guess the, the goal was really to have a robust cell-based system that would allow us to study viral host interaction in the dish. That's kind of cool. You know, I never really thought about stem cells or something like that. You know what I mean? Like mimicking the viral host interaction, how viruses integrate into the host system. Nice, nice. So they did this with human embryonic stem cell-derived hepatocytes. um, And then they were using uh, hepatitis C virus. And they said that they were able to, uh, capable of supporting the full viral life cycle, including the release of infectious variants. So they were really able to, you know, kind of model, if you will, the viral host interaction in the dish. That's in stem cell reports. nice. Um, I got the activation of dental stem cells. We talked about that. Um, and then I, I'll close here because we've got to get Dieter on. Um, nature Neuroscience. Uh, Jonas Friesen Yo, Joseph you talked about this carbon 14 uh dating right Yeah 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 basically it was it was that the
1: what there was the the nuclear bomb test and yeah the, it, there was the MPT or whatever the the non proliferation treaty maybe it's one of the ones where we basically all decide to stop doing nuclear testing like crazy i think in 57 or 65 it was somewhere before the 70s that we just stopped, we just stopped doing
0: these tests so a newly newly synthesized DNA, right? That's how it works. Can take up this carbon fourteen. Yeah, yeah. And so, so it it allows you to, to to like birth date. So you can tell when cells were born, um, right? Yosef, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. So what they did in this study was they looked at uh, cortical, uh, I'm sorry, cortical stroke patients. So they looked at the brains of these cortical stroke patients because it's, I guess it's been unclear whether the stroke induces neurogenesis. Or some sort of neuronal DNA rearrangement. Mm-hmm. And so, what they were able to do is they were to take this carbon dating and they were able to tell what the neurons looked like at the time of, at different times after death. So, as you say, a large proportion of these neurons displayed this DNA fragmentation a short time after stroke, whereas neurons at like the chronic stages after stro- stroke showed DNA integrity. Hmm. Uh, so so the point being they could like measure that that blows my mind that you can actually do something like that
1: yeah I'm reading it right here it's the uh, limited nuclear test ban tree of 1963 and basically before that we had doubled the amount of radioactive uh, carbon 14 by all our nuclear tests and after that it went back to normal levels because we we just stopped bombing the heck out of everything that's so so
0: crazy (laughs) yeah So anyway that's really cool it's a cool technique check that out but we should end there Yos yeah definitely all right, Chris, uh, so why don't you bring on our guest? Okay, so our guest, uh, our guest for this episode is timely with all of the, uh, the SCNT uh, articles that we've been talking about. I know, Yosef, we've talked about a lot in the show, and he should be able to provide some really nice insight. Our guest is Dr. Dieter Egli. Uh, Dieter is a senior research fellow at the New York Stem Cell Foundation. Uh, Dr. Egli is also an adjunct associate research scientist in the Division of Molecular Genetics Department of Pediatrics at Columbia University. Uh, um, let's see, Dieter received his PhD from the University of Zurich, Switzerland. Then he did a postdoc uh, in the lab of Dr. Kevin Egan, who we had on the show lab episode at the Department of Stem Cell and Regenerative Biology at Harvard, uh, where he's studying reprogramming after nuclear transfer. And his interests now include you know, the generation of therapeutically relevant cells for diabetes. We talk about how stem cells can be applicable for, for this kind of stuff. And Dieter Dieter's research in the NICEF laboratory currently focuses on the generation of, of these cells, and his work has relevance for the use of stem cells to study disease, screen for new drugs, and cell replacement therapy. Uh, in his na- recent paper in Nature, which came out, uh, I believe, is at the end of April, or the beginning of this month, Dieter's group described the first disease-specific human embryonic stem cell line created by nuclear transfer. So it was a really, really big, important study. And I'd like to welcome on Dieter Egley to the show to tell us about it. How are you doing, Dieter?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you, Chris. It's awesome to be on this show. Oh. On the- yeah.
0: Yeah. No problem. Exactly thanks. About thanks, thanks for coming, man. This is uh, this is really great. And I, like I said, Dieter, it's very timely because there's a lot of SCNT uh, stuff in the in the in the regular news. It's it's it, you know you know something is big when we we can read about our work coming across the the major news channels. So but before we really get into the your your latest paper, why don't you just tell a little bit uh, you know to the audience just to give them a little background on your work and what your interests are and what your lab is trying to do.
2: Yeah, so you know, I came into the field of diabetes mainly because of co- coincidence. Um, you know, there was research going on around me on diabetes, and so I started to work on diabetic cells. Uh, but my interest in stem cells really came from because I really wanted to do something that helps to cure a human disease. And while I was initially skeptical, you know, I'm from a rather conservative place in Switzerland. I, I didn't really get it. Why stem cell research would be so important. And even thought it's like too controversial to do that kind of stuff. But, but when I met the people and at that time that was at Harvard university in the lab of Kevin Egan, when I met the people, I really felt like these, these guys have good intentions. This is, that's a good thing. and, it convinced me to start working on, on stem cells. And since then, I've ever stuck with it. Is, um,
1: is that where you learned, uh, you know, how to isolate stem cell lines from uh, the inner cell mass or what we called ICM?
2: Yeah. So, you know, when I came joined Kevin's lab, he said, you know, don't worry too much about those embryonic stem cells. We still do a lot on mouse cells, so you can work on those. And so then initially... He taught me how to isolate stem cells from the mice. Um, actually, it was a Japanese fellow, Hideyakutsu, who was there. And he taught me how to how to do that. And only later I moved on to the human cells. Yeah, it, that was in his lab where I learned that.
1: Yeah, because uh, the first time I met you was at the NICEF uh, stem cell course. And I remember when I met you that day, later that day or that week, you had... Shown me how to isolate, how one isolates the, you know, those three to five hundred cells in the inner cell mass with that special microscope with the laser and how you break down the, the egg wall. Or, and I just remember being amazed and, uh, you letting me actually do it. It was, it was pretty cool. Do you still teach the course?
2: I, I don't. Uh, I think we should probably offer that again. I, th- I believe there will be huge interest. Yeah, this was, was
0: wait. This was just a. Well, this was a nice, of course. That it was a like a stem cell. Uh, learn how to stem cell, if you will, course kind of thing.
2: Exactly. Yeah, learn how to do stem cell.
0: Yeah, it was well, like eight or nine
1: years. ago. I remember, IPS was high and we were trying out the new kits that were available on how to reprogram cells, and uh, the, the first kits had just been released um, to do that.
2: So right, now, yeah. of course we all do uh, kits for to make i p s cells, and it's very convenient, yeah nuclear transfer turned turned out to be not very much kit biology, that all had to be figured out. So when I started to work on patient specific cells, which was of course the logic next step after deriving just cells from fertilized embryos, then we thought, you know we need maybe perhaps about twenty eggs to get that to work. And we thought, you know, they would just come and fly into our lab because you know, the excitement about that research was so big. Everybody had such high expectations that this would happen soon and this would be just, um, easy. Uh, it didn't turn out to be that way. Mm. Go, go ahead,
1: Joseph. No, I was going to say, talk from your perspective about how, like, you know, the whole drama that played out with Wu Suk Wang, you know, and then now Metallipov and now what you've been able like, sort of work us into where you're at now and how, how it's the field has changed.
2: Yeah, so w- when I came to Harvard University, it was thought that nuclear transfer ESLs had already been derived. And in the United States, it's looked like we were behind, uh, running behind um, the South Korean group. And I remember very well, one day Kevin came into the lab and he said, Harvard University approved the use of human oocytes for reprogramming, these nuclear transfer experiment. And that was huge in the United States because it was entirely new that the big university would Stand behind that field and do these kind of experiments. But and Peter, just just for
0: everyone out there, this is before IPS technology, ruled, <laughs> right? So this is now that was that could be game changing for the field. George Bush exactly. is still president,
1: and there was still a moratorium on certain stem cell lines and the funding for it. Which I guess you didn't have to worry about being uh, at the New York Stem Cell Foundation, correct? Or was it an issue? <laughs>
2: At that time I was at Harvard University oh, in the yeah. lab of Kevin Egan as a postdoc. Yes. And so we we thought we yeah, we didn't I didn't have to worry about funding. I bet Kevin did, but I didn't have <laughs> to <worry about> <laughs> and, and, and uh so that day that Harvard approved the use of nuclear transfer for human oocytes for reprogramming, that day the news broke that Huang had um, that Huang's papers had problems; that oh. there was some fake data in there, and from there it all came down wow. very quickly. And suddenly we were basically in the pole position, and it looked like you know no, we were you know ahead of everyone else doing these type of experiments. But then came IPS cells, and it was very very short. Briefly thereafter, in 2006, when Yamanaka published those mouse IPS cells. And when we did our first nuclear transfer experiment with a single human egg donor that we were able to get with altruistic donation, it didn't work. And so now you had a working protocol with iPS cells, which was easy and doable, and everybody was starting to do that. And you had a non-working nuclear transfer protocol. So essentially, the iPS cells did drain all the funding from the nuclear transfer field and there were very few people left who would keep doing that work. Mm. So, so it's extremely hard to, you know, persist on on that line.
0: So basically, so just this, let's, let's just like, let's sum this up for a second for everybody here. The goal was to get a pluripotent cell or a cell that would be able to generate from a patient, that would be able to give rise to any cell type of that patient. So back then, they were using embryonic stem cells. And the goal, obviously, was to be able to eventually get patient matched, if you will. So let's get, let's create pluripotent cells from the patient. And it was an IPS technology back then, so this is why nuclear transfer was such such an important piece. And you're saying right around the time that that Korean group came out and said they did it, um, when they started to probably, you know, reports surfaced that this was falsified, you just, you know, your group... It kind of seems like Dieter, Everything happened all at once. The Korean the Korean study was bad. You got approval to do your nuclear, nuclear transfer, and then IPS hit the waves. So, kind of that must have been a real <laughs> interesting time in your life, is to figure out what's next.
2: It was extremely exciting, um, but because I already had embarked on you know huge, I had to train how to do the nuclear transfer, and I had a mouse project that went pretty well. I just stuck with it and you know i published quite okay on that so i could continue my research career on the nuclear transfer and had kind of a niche where i kept going
0: so tell me this then where what give me give me give me and everyone some of the advantages disadvantages you know obviously the looming disadvantages you need you need the eggs right but but if, compared to IPSC and and the cells that, that come out, and then from nuclear transfer and the cells that come out, can, can you give everyone a little flavor for what would be an advantage for SCNT and maybe talk a little bit about some dis- disadvantages?
2: Right. So my interest from the start has always been to make cells that can be transplanted. Now, if you just think from a practical perspective or from an analogy, human eggs are always used in the uh, worldwide to make other cells that can be implanted into human being. And of course, in that case, it's for human reproduction. In this case, we want to make stem cells. But if we make stem cells with human eggs, then it just feels to me that you are closer to a product that can be again implanted into a person. And I'm just very excited about the idea of cell replacement. The idea of putting cells back into people, because I believe much of medicine is based on delivering drugs, but we are made of cells. Hmm. So I really think we have to learn better how to handle cells, how to manipulate them, how to make them into something that can be therapeutically useful.
1: So before <clears throat> before we touch upon your latest paper, I just want to know, you know, when we talk about NT or SCNT or nuclear transfer, we're talking about taking old DNA, putting it in an egg and making it young again, essentially. So wh- what do you think is in the egg again you must get this question all the time what is in Where are those factors that you know yamanaka described the four factors that we could introduce you know through viruses and such but what are the four factors uh, i mean what are the magic factors in the egg any clues
2: no we don't have <laughs> very much clues what these factors are but i think it's a complex mixture of factors it's a, it's a cell it's a complex thing and Certainly, there are factors known that are essential for development and these early developmental steps. And if you knock them out, it doesn't work anymore. But it doesn't give you so much information which factors defines that cell type. Hmm. But I th- what we can know or guess from you know work in iPS cells, it's most likely cell type-specific transcription factor that determine that specific state. And so we got to look a little more closely what these transcription factors are are at very early pre-implantation development. It's not OCT4, it must be others.
1: It, 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 has the field just abandoned looking? I mean, we we certainly had the tools to figure out what is inside the egg that could reprogram it, you know, naturally. Right.
2: I, no, the field has not abandoned looking, but since a lot less people are working in this field, progress uh, progress has been slow. Mm. And, but I think with, you know, I think there is some form of revival right now because before there was no working protocol on human somatic cell nuclear transfer. And now there is. We can make patient specific lines. We can start to compare those to IPS cells to see whether there are any potential differences. You know, this is going to revive the field. And already now I see more, you know, reviewer requests for papers that are related to somatic cell nuclear transfer. So editors become more interested and funding agencies become more interested. Obviously, the public is very interested if you look at the news that these articles made. And, and so it's just, it is an exciting field. It's it's a relevant field. And I think for making therapeutically relevant cells for transplantation, it still has a very good shot. I think if you today, if you were given the choice between a cell made by somatic cell nuclear transfer and an IPS cell and you would be told to implant that into a human being, then you probably would rather choose the nuclear transfer derived cell
0: I would put me in that boat
2: <laughs> i, would I mean
0: I, I I totally see that I totally see that side it's uh, it 's an obvious state and we always say you do what you do what the body does right and introducing genes uh, like IPS is not what the body does and as much as you want to say that uh, they're they're the same or very similar. You you know. There's always that looming. Uh, you know. Well, they're not really the same. Yeah. Well, you got to go with the natural the
1: evolution. You know. You got to go with what's there. You know. It's it's so much better than exogenous
0: factors. But, I guess. but going along that lines, when something is 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 the is the better route, but it's not being uh, it's not the the route being chosen by most then there must be something there. And uh, there's obvious limitations to that, right, Dieter? Number one, it's a very difficult process. And two, uh, and I should say inefficient, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe you can tell me that. But two, you're limited by the eggs. So can you speak to that? Can you speak to the state of of uh, egg donors and donation and, and how our country views this? Is it state differences in law? Can you can you talk a little bit about the donating process?
2: Well, I'll talk a little bit about that. Let me also say something more about the egg. You know, of course the egg is very complex and it's a complex process uh, to reprogram for the egg. But, you know, if you drink a beer, it's a complex thing. And I'd rather prefer a complex beer than a defined beer. So I don't see the, the complexity of the egg as a disadvantage. It may be a disadvantage for research to tease out which one is the factor. But in terms of making a product that is a, is useful for medical treatment i don't see it as a disadvantage mm.
0: yeah that makes sense
2: so you know and learning how to do the nuclear transfer if you can learn a video game you can learn how to do nuclear transfer
0: well that's good cuz then i have i can learn nuclear yeah there are a bunch of
2: people who would be great recruits for this <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so yeah. regarding the Access. how to get the eggs. Yes. You know? So initially we thought that enthusiasm is so great that women will just step forward and say, here are my eggs. <laughs> and, I, you know, we were a bunch of guys thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you put yourself into the mind of a, wo- of a woman mm-hmm. what, what she has to go through. Um, probably not. Yeah. And, and so especially because women are compensated for giving eggs to other couples for reproduction. And so at Harvard, um, who actually asked us not to compensate women for donating eggs, we we just obtained one egg donation. And the research never went anywhere. And and so that's why I moved to New York in 2008 because in New York State, it's – has been reviewed ethically whether it's okay to provide um and some amount equal amount of compensation as are given for reproductive egg donation.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's if, if whether, it, yeah? it, that's totally reasonable. I mean, if the, the the like just hearing you describe that, if it, if it were switched and this tool was needed to go through the u- urethra of guys to get you know that egg cell it would it would just totally you know no there would only be one donation you know like you experienced at Harvard so you had a lot more donations here from you know the compensation the i mean it wasn't wild was it it was it was a moderate amount correct
2: well so we comp- the routine compensation for a woman to donate eggs for either reproduction or research in New York is around $8,000. That seems like a lot. Uh, you have to take away the taxes from that, so what really ends up in the pocket of a woman is perhaps between six and seven $7,000.
1: And this is an invasive procedure.
2: Yeah, there is anesthesia during the egg retrieval. There are injections for about 10 days. Uh, daily injections of hormones, you have to have an intensive workup with psychological screening even before you even start that um health screening you have to have several doctor visits and appointments so it's a considerable effort in terms of time in terms of commitment now these wi- these women are working they they have their own um life and schedule and and so they they really have to take out time of their day. And devoted to that and for any reasonable thing that we do um i think it's fair to to provide a form of compensation
0: agreed i i see that i guess so what's the other side to that the other side is that the compensation might might lure people to get something that they might not you know you're kind of forcing them into it is that the what's the argument the the
1: kidney world is going through this right now there you know you can't compensate somebody for their kidneys and, um, it's, it's, it's a problem because a lot of people need kidneys and they're hard to get. And, um, I guess this is sort of like, you know, the first step of that in America. I'm not sure. Is, are there other, uh, paid donation services that you know of?
2: You know, I, I, I don't know. I think well, if you don't eat blood, you get the burger and, uh, you know, a little bit of food. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> so that's it. I mean, generally... It's not encouraged to compensate, but there was already this pre-existing practice to compensate for women who donated all sides for reproduction. So I don't know why research should be treated any differently. Like, there you see, go. The there fact- you go. The fact is if you don't you simply won't get any eggs and you won't be able to study them and this is the, one of the most important cells in the human body and <laughs> yeah. why shouldn't we study that Well
0: because I think I think I think first of all SCNT in itself carries a bit of that maybe false you know carries that ethical Yeah you uh, hear kind cloning of that visceral Pe- oh you people know people hear think, cloning yeah I think that has something to do with it and and uh, to be honest I think the fact that a woman that it's a woman it has something to do with that I'm not trying to be like that at all but if you if you talk about a guy who's got to go donate sperm for fifty bucks, no one cares. Yeah, I but mean, they, they, they might laugh right? at that, but <laughs> whatever. So yeah. you know, um, yeah, you know, make a joke about it, you know. But um, I think that there's there's something to the to the female reproductive system. It is very delicate and. I think that SCNT is very delicate in the news and in the common world. And so I think if you combine the two, um, you're going to have a storm around it. And speaking of the storm and the controversy, Dieter, I mean, every time you go to publish a paper, do you have to plan out the damage control as well? I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 it's one thing for us to be concerned about getting our paper through review and getting it published. But then after you have to get it published, I'm sure you have to deal with the possible blowback from some of these, uh, Uh, you know, people who are not for this and think that this is a bad thing, right? I mean, you do have those crazy groups.
2: So I would say I've been extremely um, lucky or I don't know which word I should use, but surprised, positively surprised that most of the feedback we get is is good and positive and encouraging. And I, whether it's from the media or from people who contact us, the vast majority and very rarely have I you know encountered somebody who is really against this. I don't know why, but it's just I think what really matters is the motivation why you do it. And in this case we made it very clear we do this for because we want to find a cure for type one diabetes. We're not doing this for human reproductive cloning. We are not doing this because we to satisfy just our scientific curiosity. It has The goal is to do something for the benefit of mankind. And I think most people appreciate that and they they can um, put this ahead of their other concerns.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, the public has sort of dealt with it. It's like any new technology. I remember when cell phones came out. Some of my friends were like, why would I want to be reached away? Or, you know, when texting, everybody was texting and now everybody's texting. You know, at one point people were like, why would you text? But now it's like completely normal. So I feel like, We've maybe moved on and people have accepted that we're not cloning actual human beings. We're trying to clone cell lines to make,
0: you know, uh therapeutic agents or drug screens. So Yeah. I also think also Dieter that I don't think people truly understand why they're that upset with SCNT. I and it goes for the stem cell field in general you'll ask I'll ask people they'll say no those stem and the stem cells are no good and i you know if you ask them do you know what a stem cell is sometimes they'll look at you and say well you know no they don't and i think people form opinions on things that they don't know and then when it's time for them to uh, com- confront it they don't because they really don't know they wouldn't be able to have the conversation so i think there's a lot of haters out there but when when it's something good of it comes out they go quiet and so i hope with all this N- scnt and the literature that's been coming out uh, that that you know this will this will like you said it's got a full head you know full full steam ahead that this is really going to put that aside now along with that Dieter and then maybe you can transition into your into your latest paper but what what was what was was there something that all of a sudden led to this S C and T descriptions was there a technical hurdle that was leaped or is this just coincidence you know we saw we saw we saw. Um, you know, was it was it Robert Lanza that group, and we saw. Um, you know, there's just been a bunch of papers that have come out within the past couple of months on SCNT. Is that all coincidental, or do we really have a hurdle that's been jumped technically that's going to allow for this to be more mainstream?
2: Yeah, I I definitely think we we have taken the hurdle, and it's exciting to see that several papers have come out now because it shows that the field has gained some dynamics. So I'm I'm really happy about that. Um, the the technical hurdle. Was to generate diploid cell lines. And in our initial nuclear transfer experiments, including those at Harvard and what most others had observed before was that these nuclear transfer cells would just arrest development. You know, they would make a few cells, a couple of cell divisions, and then they would stop. And you had no idea why. And we did some microarrays and then saw that gene expression isn't very good. And so one obvious thing was to add the histone deacetylation inhibitors because these would, you know, stimulate gene expression. And indeed, you know, in, in the first experiments we did with the histone deacetylation inhibitor, we got some development beyond that block, even to the blastocyst stage, and that was very encouraging. But it was still very rare. And what we did then is to play with the artificial activation there were two ways to activate it. One was to add the kinase inhibitor. The other one was to add the translation inhibitor. Essentially what both of these do, they inhibit the activity of the kinases that maintain the egg in meiotic arrest. So the meiotic arrest is the egg that is waiting to be fertilized. And when fertilization occurs, then it starts to divide. So we don't use any sperm. And so we have to provide this artificial activation stimulus Uh, to initiate development. And so we had those two artificial activation conditions with a kinase inhibitor and a translation inhibitor, and both of them somehow worked, but not perfectly, and so we thought, why not combine them? Hmm. And that suddenly really helped to get blastocyst development, and when we combined that with a histone deacetylation inhibitor, we had a developmental efficiency of about 10% blastocysts. Wow. And that... That remained the same when we, you know, incorporated changes that uh, the Metalipov group had discovered independently, but were very much in agreement with what we, what we found. That, you know, the artificial activation stimulus has to be very efficient. In their case, they used uh, an, electric pulse, an electrical pulse, the electrical pulse, and they used um, also histone deacetylation inhibitor, though a different uh, molecule. And and so what about the saw, caffeine?
1: What about the caffeine? Not essential.
2: So we we use try use the caffeine as well. It whether we use it or not, we didn't see a great effect on the pre-implantation development efficiency. Hmm. So I don't really know to this day how much it does. Okay. Um, I I think I think I'm quite certain it helps the investigator. I don't know much the caffeine yeah it definitely helps
1: me (laughs) (laughs)
2: but but, you know if there is any doubt it it may have a beneficial effect and it's certainly not harmful so i would i would probably add it you know if if somebody Mm. out there starts to work on this i would add it okay Uh, it doesn't it doesn't harm Mm.
0: a little a little caffeine is always good yeah what i say
2: (laughs) so and and so what resulted in the stem cell lines was kind of a mixed method of, of the two, of ours and, and Schuchert's protocol, and and it worked quite well. It doesn't work perfectly. I think the efficiency still varies a bit. Um, what we also found is that when you do, you know, for the nuclear transfer, you need to do some kind of cell transfer. You need to transfer that nucleus, and that's often done with fusion. Now, fusion means fusing two membranes together, and the agent that usually induces that fusion has to disturb the integrity of that plasma membrane uh, to some degree to obtain that fusion. And what that also means is that the calcium can flow into the egg. Now, calcium is a potent activator of an egg, and at that stage, you don't want it because you still want the egg to be arrested in that uh, metaphase of meiosis. And, and so, but it turned out that if you do something to minimize that um, agent for fusion, so it turned out that when we removed the calcium from the medium and it reduced the concentration of the agent used for transfer, then uh, we obtained quite efficient blastocyst development and derived this adult stem cell line.
1: Now, what about the age? Cause I saw, uh, over at Rockefeller, um, and at, during the Q and A, uh, somebody had asked what it was, you know, was it the caffeine, this or that? And he had said that the age of the egg was really important, that the younger the egg, I guess the better. And a lot, it got a lot of chuckles from the women in the audience. Well, mainly the men, but <laughs> there was an awkward moment when he was like, yeah, the older eggs didn't quite work. He was like, we need, you know, somewhere in mid twenties was the best, I guess. So I, I don't know. Did, did you see any differences with the donor egg age in terms of your reprogramming efficiency? Or I, I guess you wouldn't consider reprogramming, would you? Or you do?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, we had that. We we have that in in the data there. When comparing eggs from women between twenty two and twenty six, these were slightly better. Than eggs from women between twenty seven and thirty two oh, but you gosh. know there I think the variation between egg donor to egg donor is greater, mm-hmm. and this does not mean that an egg donor um of of age thirty two could be a very good egg donor in fact, and it, it's not um you know I wouldn't apply that rule to finding sh- a mate. St- I wouldn't make it a rule, you know. I yeah. think that the, the the individual variations that we saw between egg donor using the same protocol are are quite considerable, mm. and there is a trend towards greater efficiency in in the early twenties or mm. mid twenties. Okay. Yes.
0: So, so then in this latest paper, that you use this technology in this and these, this kind of. Protocol if you will, and the result was um, you were able to uh, generate these pluripotent cells from a type 1 diabetic patient so can you tell me was there a significant i don't know was there was it more the, the, the fact that the donor uh, the fact that the donor had a disease like diabetes did that affect the efficiency at all or is that was that completely irrelevant?
2: you know we only compared it with the cells from the neonatal Fibroblasts, which are from a healthy subject. And there we derived three cell lines. We derived one from the type 1 diabetic. And I, th- but so in terms of cell lines, we have more of that neonatal cells. But if you looked at development to the blastocyst stage, which I think is the most important data point, and uh, then there was no difference between the adult cell from the type 1 diabetic and the neonatal cells. Mm. The derivation efficiency may be so different because only at later stages of these experiments, we added fetal bovine serum to the derivation media, and that brought up the derivation efficiency. I see. Why, why that is, I'm not entirely sure. It looks seems like that these ICM cells, like that particular uh, fetal bovine serum, and that the the outgrowth of that inner cell mass, that's the part of the blastocyst where stem cells are derived, that seems to like that fetal bo- bovine serum as well.
1: That's something and, that mouse stem cells usually like. Not not particularly human, right?
2: Right. So that fetal bovine serum has to be screened for compatibility with human ESL growth. And that's then it then it will work.
0: Because I, I, we can do this forever, but we're going to run out of time. So let's let me let's transition this way. Um, the, the bottom line here, and the, I want to just close it off because I don't want to just go – because I want you to – we ask everyone to tell a funny story and it'd be really strange to just transition to this funny story. So – to put a bow on it, Dieter, you, it's in your opinion, which would be an expert opinion, that the SCNT field is a viable field produ- for producing pluripotent stem cells, and it is, still, it is still moving forward, and you think it will produce a viable cell product that we can put into people, and, and that's your vote if you had to choose, right? I mean, I'm, that, this is what I'm getting from you, and I, and I, I love to hear that. Is, is that what you think?
2: Absolutely correct. Couldn't agree more.
0: See that, Yos? A yeah. lot of people come on and they, you know, they, I don't think they really understand it completely. And, uh, the more you hear about it, you, you, the more that something comes from your body, right? It, I guess it just kind of makes sense. And again, we're not taking anything away from the IPS technology because it's a tremendous technology and it has tremendous potential. I think you'll get product from both cell. But we, sh- we shouldn't discount this whole area of growing research because right now it seems that it's really back and moving forward. So with that, now I think we should transition. Yo, so Dieter, are, do you have a funny story for us, buddy? Cuz we always have people come yeah, on again. Yeah, yeah you do. All right, let's let's go Dieter. Let's hear your funny
2: story. Yeah, so when when I was in Kevin Egan's lab around April Fools' Day,
0: uh-huh.
2: and uh, that was still the time there was no IPSL just remember that. And so ESL derivation was really 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 hot. And so um a colleague of mine Stephen Sullivan and I, we put out that rumor into the lab that uh, Sheik had called Kevin Egan to uh, offering $1 million to, to derive camel ESL. <laughs> and so people believed us totally because the story came from two people, from myself and from Stephen Sullivan. And you know immediately started the discussion on whether this is right or wrong. You know, why... Should somebody would say, you know, why should uh, a rich guy have such a tremendous influence on our research? This is corrupting science. That's not right. And somebody else would say, no, no, this is a great opportunity. I'm totally doing that. Yeah. And so, so it was really interesting to see this story develop. And, and so <laughs> eventually someone went to Kevin Egan and, and uh, said, you know, Uh, I heard, you know, there's this um these camel ear cells in (laughs) the ride, you know, the sheep called and and so Kevin was very intent on not quenching the enthusiasm (laughs) and said, Well, if you guys want to work on camel ear cells, that's just fine with me. (laughs) So so we love that story and every Oh man.
1: Camel stem cells. There's just something inherently funny about camel stem cells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, that's great. So let's uh travel. Can you join us for a rant?
2: Sure.
0: Yeah, yep. you are. All, All right. right. <laughs> so here's. I, I think I'll, I'll do the rant. This this for we got like five, we got five minutes here. Let's do a rant. And this is this is going to be. We've touched on it a little bit, but this is this just came out. Yos, so what's our favorite journal? PNAS. So, uh, in the PNAS Journal, this was an opinion piece. This is a PNAS opinion. Right, Dieter? It's a PNAS opinion. And uh, the senior author is Harold Varmus, who – Harold Varmus is a Nobel laureate. Uh, he was, Former he was president Sloan of Kettering Minnesota. When I was there, yep. he was the president of Sloan Kettering, and now he runs the uh, National Cancer Institute. You also have on the author line Bruce uh, Bruce Alberts, and Bruce Alberts – I uh, was the former president of the National Academy of Sciences. You have Mark Kirshner, who's the chair of Department of Systems Bio at Harvard Med, and Shirley Tilgman, who was the former president of Princeton University. So these are four very prominent researchers, and the, the title of the article is Rescuing U.S. Biomedical Research from its Systemic Flaws. Hmm. And I also read an opinion in science that's called U.S. Biomedical Research is Unsustainable. Uh, and so in this article, they write how the biomedical research field is unsustainable. It's doomed and will collapse. Uh, if nothing gets fixed, uh, it is surely going to fall off the cliff and it will be gone. And so we've heard this. You kind of hear these rumblings. And I think it's echoed especially because people who just can't get grants anymore because it's just the funding rate so low. Um, uh, we can talk about it. and You get your feelings. But I want to give you the main source of the dilemma that they cite. So they cite the root cause of this is this long-standing assumption that the biomedical research system in the U.S. will expand indefinitely. So basically, you know, there was a huge expansion of biomedical research after World War II, and research the budgets were doubling and doubling. But that 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 growth is no longer continuing. But what is continuing is the amount of PhD students that we graduate. And so what they're saying is that. Um, you have uh, uh, a severe imbalance between the dollars available for research and the growing scientific community in the United States, and that imbalance creates a hyper-competitive atmosphere in which productivity is reduced and careers are threatened. So, he go, they go on to suggest some things we can you can do to you know to fix that. But they say this hyper-competition then leads to obvious you know discrepancies in work, lack of funding. Uh, there's, there's the scientist. Time is spent majority of his day writing grants. We talk about this, and it's just, just this pervasive cycle. It also says that established investigators can't uh, are so concerned about getting their next grant that that's all they're thinking about. So they think short term. They can't think long term. They have to think of well, how am I going to get that money for next year, and so it doesn't allow them to be creative. So I open this up to you guys. I just like to hear your take on this, and I can tell you a little bit of how they propose to fix these problems. And it's a, it's a pretty. Uh, no, just Pretty go into that. It doesn't matter what I think, or I mean, I, I want to hear. Right, what let me Dieter let me could, give you one yeah. of the solutions that they suggest, and then you can tell me about this. So, what they say for graduate students, they suggest that the, in the so for everybody there who's not in this world, a graduate student works in a lab, and and typically, I would say, uh, greater than seventy five percent of the time, that grad student is paid by the investigator that they're working for. They have a grant, and they're paid on that. What they're suggesting is that all graduate students cannot be paid on the grants of their investigators. The only way they could be paid is if they write a grant themselves and get it funded. That's Ooh. the only way they get money. Or, or the institute has a training grant. So, for example, uh, you know Harvard might have training grants that will supply stipends for graduate students. That's fine, but an individual investigator cannot support a grad student by him or herself. They have to apply it for it themselves. And what they'll say is that will root people out. If people – people in a PhD in this country in the US in biomedical research, they get a free ride. They get a free education. They get a free PhD. I mean I say free. I mean they're working. But this this – they say that the government will have more say in how – in the quality of students by being able to peer review and select them. Uh, and not leave it up to just the institutions. So that that's one uh, of the major things they. Suggest. I don't know,
1: man. I, I'm all right. What's the other thing?
0: <laughs> well, no, go ahead, man. Let's. Have no, a, I, I, a, you a, know, my, my. I'm not, not going to go through this whole. Thing.
1: My, my thing happen. is, you know, double the NIH budget yesterday.
0: Like, well, that's on there. Obviously. That's that's, that's obvious.
1: Okay, all right, because you know, uh, uh it's not that grad students don't try. They they take a lot of tests and pay a lot of money and do interviews and are very studious to get to the point where they get into grad school and to say, okay, now you did that, learn all this stuff, and then write a grant. And if it's not the hottest grant that you know du jour, who's making that decision? Is it an easier funding rate? If it were 50-50, I'd say, okay. But to limit the number of students, the talent pool, I don't think that's the answer.
0: But I guess I guess, and I don't know, Dieter, what you think about this. I guess what they're saying is the pool isn't all that talented. Oh,
2: I agree. I agree with Joseph. <laughs> totally. I mean, I, yeah.
0: In other words, in other words, you can't just shut people out because they want to have a PhD just because you feel that they shouldn't, right?
1: I mean, I I've heard this before with like lawyers and even you know MDS, but like especially <laughs> lawyers. There's more law 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 students than there are actual lawyers. I heard that in like the movie uh it was the robert uh, what was it uh when he played the devil not robert de niro but (laughs) Al Pacino. devil's advocate devil's advocate and it was all about and i was like how is that sustainable and i guess the you know i complain about that there aren't any tenure track positions for most phds you got to be like you know not only good but really 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 good and have a great you know Presentation and paper and chalk talk to get that position, and um, you know it, it we it's already weeding out itself. Uh, I don't, you know, I guess dwindling the the base pool, the applicant. I I don't see how that's. Well, better. I guess
0: it's like it's like what they say. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Malthusian philosophy. Basically, yes. that the population will. You know, the population is expanding exponentially, but the food supply is not. So at some point, you're going to have a a disparate, you know, you're going to have more people than there is food. And then you're going to have a major recorrection by a collapse of of, of the population. Yeah, yeah, but like... So they're they're saying that this this is, in a way, this is a Malthusian tradition, if you will, that you're going to have exponential amounts of trainees out, and there's going to be nothing there for them. So what's going to happen to all of them? So what's happening to them? They say they're starting to take jobs that uh, now would norm- other people would normally take. They're taking. So they're they're saying that it's it's kind of just pervading everywhere. And they're saying it's not the best use of of uh, training, especially when federal dollars are paying for their education. So the education that they that they you know they're they're training and their Ph.D. education, if you will, they get ready. They've been there five six years. They go out to get a job. They can't get a job. So they end up taking a job that. They don't need the PhD for. And so this is kind of this is another argument they're saying. The other thing I thought that was really kind of weird that they said was that um, the majority of biomedical research is conducted by trainees, right? Grad students and postdocs. And then they said as a result, the most successful biomedical scientists train far more scientists that are needed to replace him. So if you have a lab of twenty-five people, let's say I have a lab of twenty-five people, maybe three or four will go on to continue the academic pedigree or go on to, create, to continue to do research and the other 20 don't and they go do something else right uh, they're saying that, that that's, that's a problem now I don't know how you could, you could say it's a problem maybe in the industry but it's not a problem that those other 20 people want to do something else right I mean that's, that's, that's kind of what I don't understand about this
1: yeah, it's kind of like the NBA, you know, like at Doc Rivers. He's a coach now, once he was a player. And, you know, you could say that coaches are training the future coaches, even though they're basketball players right now. I, I don't know. The, this whole thing is starting to upset me <laughs> just because I, I feel like limited. It is true, <laughs> Joseph. It is
0: true that there are more trainees than there are jobs. That is a fact. And yeah. that's a problem. Yeah, that's, that's, a problem.
1: that's a big problem. And, you um, know, I've okay. heard of... Uh, PhDs, you know, post, uh, tenure, not tenure, they're uh, adjunct professors who are on food stamps right now in America. So I, and they have no benefits and no, you know, so it's adjunct professorships are not what they ever really we're supposed to be, but like, still they're even worse than, you know, it, it, histo- than historically. So it's, it's a scary prospect, but you know, having a PhD is a lot better than not <laughs> in this job economy, I guess, you know, what What are your I thoughts, Dieter?
2: I mean, we need PhDs in the lab. These are some of the most valuable and productive and innovative young people. You, if you don't have them, you can't have an innovative lab, essentially. So I think they bring ideas, and they're just really important. And if you limit their numbers, it's not the right way, I think.
0: Yeah, really. They want to starve them out. Get rid of the, <laughs> the grad students. Don't pay them anything. <laughs> just get rid of Make them. Make it the people. Hunger but, Games of grad students. Oh, man. That's <laughs> yeah. cr- talk about hyper-competitive anyway. All right, Dieter. Let's, let's, the, let's, hyper-com- let's,
2: com- the hyper-competitive... Has a point, you know, we are now so many competing for the same grants and I'm, I'm sure most of them are really good proposals and so few get funded. So you spend so much of your time on writing grants and not getting them. Instead of writing a grant and writing more of them, we, we should rather write a grant, get it and then do the work. And that will, right, right now we don't, have enough time to actually do the science we are proposing and that's really annoying
0: yeah that's really annoying i talked about that last time that's 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 one of the most frustrating things for me about this but on that note dieter let's 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 like end on a positive note congrats congratulations on on your work and and pushing forward in a field that that i'm sure at some point um you know, it was just took a back seat to this IPS world, but it's really gaining steam. And I'm glad to see that it's that it's turning the corner. And you're right there at the New York Stem Cell Foundation uh, moving forward with it. So congrats to you and your group. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we uh, we will talk to you soon. We're going to see you in ISSCR. Are you going to be out there?
2: Yeah, I'm going to be out there.
0: Nice. All right. Well, have a, have a good one, Dieter. Thanks so much. Yeah, I look
2: thanks, forward to seeing thanks, you. To see.
1: Yeah, it's good to talk to you. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Thank you. All right.
2: Talking to you. Bye.